for all those up Swindon fans. But you're not there yet. In it goes! Oh, it's gone in! Richard left foot in! What a volley! It's the stuff of champions! It's the stuff of dreams! And Donate races it on goal and Donate! And welcome to episode 63 of Together, a Brighton & Hove Albion podcast. Uh, we are recording right after the Palace game tonight. Uh, so however much I would have loved to have had a bunch of thoughts and feelings from uh, the fans for such a big rivalry game, uh, I cannot delay simply because we need to get this stuff cranked out in time for tomorrow morning. So uh, I did watch the whole game, um, got that done. Uh, I was watching it live. So even though with the with the time difference over here, I managed to catch the whole game in full. Um, I hate these games more than any other game. There is. I'd rather play Liverpool every week than have to play Palace. Um, it is beyond stressful. It is <laughs> constantly uh, a worrying place to be um, because we all know how good or how uh, or how bad we can play against Palace and and how good. Right, like last year, we uh, we put on two excellent performances to beat them uh, and take the double over them. And this week, uh, we have put in another very very good performance and came away with just a point away from home. Um, so take a look at the stats. Uh, Crystal Palace. Um, this is this is one of the craziest stats of the day, actually, and we're going to lead with it. So uh, we ended with 15 shots, the Albion, to uh, Crystal Palace's 5- 11. Um, we obviously ended on 10 on target. They ended with four. Um, and I think the craziest piece for me is that at half time they had had zero shots. So just in the second half alone. Um, the changes they made, or rather the attitude change they made, because Hodgson uh, obviously did some great work there in turning them around because that first half was absolutely appalling from them. Um, but in that second half, you know, they had 11 shots alone. Um, they played a lot better. It was a much more end-to-end affair, which is something I hate. Uh, you know, ever since Gus Poyet has been at the club, it's one of those things where I, I really hate uh the amount of open games we tend to have under Potter. Um, but at the same time, I love the way we play, so obviously I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a really interesting one to point out at the beginning um, and just how good we were in that first half. Uh, we ended up with 65.6% possession uh, to their 34.4, of course. Um, we, we essentially played the game like we were the home side, um, and it's not an easy thing to do with the atmosphere at Celeste. Um, say what you will about the quality of the stadium or the quality of the facilities, um, but their atmosphere is always pretty good, uh, very good, frankly. Um, and, you know, they were they were in good voice for three quarters of the game. Um, but we bossed the game. We bossed it. We had 65% of the ball. You know, it didn't, it didn't really look like at any point we were, we were on the back foot in terms of holding the ball. Um, their press didn't really do anything to us. Uh, and really in the middle of the park, we, we were very comfortable too. Uh, the midfield battle was definitely one of our biggest strengths. And, you know, it, it shows that 
even when they had the ball, um, similar to Chris Hutton last year. Uh, and I saw a lot of Chris Hutton's Brighton uh, in Palace today. Um, well, Chris Hutton's Brighton last year. I think it's. I don't want to. I don't want to label his years before that because they weren't. They weren't like that. But I saw a lot of that kind of style of football being played. Um, you know, don't worry about possession. Get the ball up as hard as you can. Loop, lump the ball up to Benteke and hope we have somebody who can play off of him. Um, you know, they have Zaha, who is somebody who always plays well against us um, and scored again today. And, you know, it's one of those games where you know it's going to happen, but you just crack on anyway. Um, but 84% pass success percentage for us, so they're 71%. So even when uh, they did have the ball, which was much less than us, uh, they weren't very economical with it. 71% pass percentage. Uh, 10 dribbles apiece. Um, 25 aerial duels won uh, to our 10. So there was a lot of balls going in the box today, which I noticed, um, and they didn't particularly do well in that. Uh, and we were bossed in the air by Benteke today when it went up um, a lot of those balls that he won really just bounced back to our keeper or one of our other defenders but he did win almost every header he had uh, he actually won excuse me uh, of the 25 aerials won by Palace today Christian Benteke won 14 of them did he do much else with it no he didn't which is great uh, but he did absolutely dominate in the air today uh, tackles. Um, we made 17 tackles to their 14, pretty much uh, as you would expect it to be, especially in that second half. Uh, it really uh, upticked for us. Um, we desperately needed to do that. Uh, and corners. Um, we need to start getting more from corners. Um, this was another day uh, where we didn't really convert anything from a set piece. Um, I think it's something that we really need to be working on in the coming weeks because we have such a good aerial threat all the time. Um, and from our seven corners, we obviously scored zero goals. Um, but it's something that Pascal Gross is, is an incredibly talented corner taker. Um, there was a couple of chances that really should have done something more uh lewis dunk towards the end there glanced one over when he really should have put it in the back of the net um and yeah there's a there's a lot of them a lot of those set pieces that we're, we're not doing enough with so hopefully that's something potter is aware of hopefully that's something he can use to kind of expand on the game um because we're, we're kind of lacking in that department and well overdue frankly uh, for a couple of set piece goals um in terms of the rest of the game however uh it went pretty much as you would expect when the amount of possession we had 799 touches uh to their 530 um 590 passes to their 310 um we we committed 12 fouls uh to their seven which uh you know the end of the game there got really uh, really spotty for us it was one two three four five six of our 12 fouls happened in the last 15 minutes of the game um the way the tables turned was pretty impressive um palace always tend to finish well especially against us but this season uh, they always tended to finish pretty well um and they certainly did <laughs> palace had 32 clearances to our 12 um speaks again to the amount of time we had the ball in and around their box and didn't quite manage to do anything with it, pretty disappointing. Um, again, something that we've been saying for a while now, um, you know, dominate the ball, dominate the ball, dominate the ball, but not having enough shots. Well, now we're having the shots. We ended with 15 shots today. Um, but none of, not enough of them are being really dangerous. Uh, so I'm hoping that 
again, this is just a slow evolution. Um, we are only on the 16th of December. This is a style of football that this team have only been playing for three or four months now um, compared to the style of football they've been playing for the last two or three years. And it's hard to adjust. Um, and these things don't happen overnight. So... I'm hoping that, you know, over time this will continue to work. We'll continue to bring in the players that they want us to that they want to bring in. Um and Potter and his team can continue to build the team they're looking to build to to make this a Premier League team that Bloom gets to the top ten. So it is what it is, um, but hopefully we can make it make it work. Um, we did have one offside call, which I thought was dodgy today. Uh, not entirely sure it was offside, uh, the Montoya call. Um, and then there was another call uh, for Montoya being offside that VAR checked, um, and that was a penalty shout. So I think it was definitely a penalty. Uh, it was a Stonewall penalty. When they, when they showed all the replays, uh, there was a particular angle from behind um, where it was clear as day um, that he took him out, uh, tripped him, caused contact. Um, it's a foul. It's a foul anywhere. It's it's a foul on the on the halfway line. Hell, if it's if it's given at the other end for Palace, it's, it's a penalty, um, in my opinion. I think they bottled it. Still was earlier on in the game, and I think they uh, I think they didn't have the balls to uh, overturn that and give the penalty, which it, which it clearly seemed to me to be. Um, all the pundits seem to think the same thing. And even funnier is that everybody on social media that isn't a Palace fan, even ones that don't like Brighton, knew it was a penalty. So it was disappointing. Um, and I think it just goes to show that, again, VAR is not perfect. Uh, it's not even particularly reliable in a lot of phases. Um, and it's something that has been horribly implemented and continues to be because it costs us points in games. Um, nine saves to our three. Uh, so we worked the keeper a lot today. Always nice to see. Um, I'm glad that we did too because it's something that, you know, in previous games where we've dominated the ball, Newcastle away particularly, and we didn't work the keeper enough. We forced him into nine saves today. Very happy about that. Good to keep up the same work. Um, so on to the players themselves. So... There's a lot to look at uh, with our team today. Um, a lot of good stuff uh, and a couple of not so good things. Um, but one of the main, my main man of the match, uh, in fact, no, we'll, we'll do our man of the match a little bit later. Uh, main main uh, talking point today was Eve Basuma, in fact, came back into the side. So we all wondered what was going to happen with Dale Stevens out, which is something that uh, I think he was sorely li- missed today. Um, but Basuma was the man selected to step in. Uh, he played a very different role, as you would expect. Uh, Davy Proper played more of the Dale Stevens role. Um, Bissouma took more of the proper role. Uh, Bissouma ended with three shots, two on target, zero key passes, 85.7% pass accuracy. He won one aerial battle, had 73 touches of the ball, which is uh, plenty. <laughs> um, that was the sixth most in the team. So he was really working in that midfield to get a lot of the ball. Uh, defensively, he also put in work. Um, and this is a player that at Lille uh, was actually pretty confident as a more of a defensive midfielder. He made two total tackles, two successful interceptions today. Um, and there was a couple of fouls that he was supposed to have committed against Zaha. Um, not really buying that myself. I thought it was incredibly weak uh, and kind of, I thought it was poor refereeing all day, frankly. Um, somebody else to call out. 
Today, uh, I thought, was Davey proper? Um, I thought he did that job that Dale Stevens has been doing very well indeed. Uh, he did come forward a little bit more, as you would expect, than Dale Stevens. Um, but I thought he did a good job. Three shots, one on target, a key pass to his name. 92.5% at pass accuracy uh, with 96 touches, which was the second most in the team. That is an economical pass on my friends. That is, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Well, Dale Stevens, you best be flattered because he did your job today incredibly well. Uh, he also pitched in defensively two clearances, an interception and a tackle, two, to two total tackles, I apologize. Um, I thought that Davey Proper was very solid today in the role that he was asked to perform in um, and provided that extra attacking edge that Dale Stevens doesn't show as often. Um, and I thought it was great. I thought he was, you know, incredibly uh, adept at just switching straight into that role. Uh, Dan Byrne again did pretty well today um, on that left-hand side. He didn't really have a great deal to do defending-wise um, simply because their, whoever their right winger was um, was pretty poor. Their number eight, um, I cannot remember what his name is for the life of me. Check Kuate, that's it. Uh, Kuate, why he was playing there, we'll never know. He's a central midfielder as far as I was aware, um, but out wide he played and he was just marked out of the game by Dan Byrne. Um, five total tackles, one interception, three clearances. Um, you know, he never really stood a chance, did he? He was uh, taken apart. Another player I thought had a great game today. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of them. I thought I thought a lot of them played very well. Neil Mopai, uh, two shots, two on target, a goal to his name. Um, you know, he he did a great job of pressing that top line up there. And, and, and on another day, he could have had a hat trick. Um, and Lewis Dunk, I thought, did very well as well. Um, Pascal Gross, one shot, one on target, four key passes, three more than anybody else on the team, as you would expect these days. Also pitched in with a total tackle, um, which, you know, there's not a lot of players that are pitching in with tackles this year anyway. So nice to see him getting in there from the attacking side, because uh, most of them tend to not particularly push up uh, or rather come back to defend. So good work from him. My man of the match, though, uh, undoubtedly Martin Montoya. Um, he found space out wide all day, every day. It was outrageous. Um, Zaha pretty much refused to track back. So that made our work a lot easier, um, as you would imagine. And he really just ran the show out wide. Um, he was a constant threat. Two shots, two on target, should have had a penalty. One key pass, one an aerial, 91 touches of the ball, which was third most, well, joint third most, along with Leandro Trossard. Also a great game today. Uh, he also had three total tackles, one interception, um, he just he he had an incredibly good game today, and he was one of the main reasons why Zaha was almost totally, almost totally ineffectual for 75 minutes of the game. Um, he kept them totally out of it, and he had no way of being able to stop him. Um, I thought it was incredibly uh, well managed today. So Martin Montoya, man of the match. Most of the players had a pretty good one. Nobody really had any howlers to really summarise on that one. Thought it should have been a penalty. Thought Montoya was onside for his one offside call that would have created a bit of an opportunity. Not much you could do about the Zaha goal. Um, thought it was an incredibly good one. You know, not many people are stopping a shot like that. Uh, but overall, I'm pretty happy with it. One point away from home, uh, another point away from the bottom three, which, you know, a lot of those teams down there didn't pick up points this week. And, of course, reputation intact. We we didn't lose to them, and that's more important than anything, I think. 
um, from a biased point of view. Uh, and that's pretty much the wrap up for the uh, for the game. Um, I'll take it. Let's let's take the point, run away from Salast, and uh, never talk about it again. <laughs> um, so on to other stuff. We have a uh, moments of the decade. Uh, I asked you all to let me know if you had any moments of the decade you wanted me to cover. Um, we had our call, and we actually ended up covering uh, every single moment that anybody messaged us about. So um, we nailed everything down that everybody wanted, and then a little bit more as well. Uh, so you should be good to go for our moments of the decade uh, with Robin and I, which is coming up next. Uh, lots of nostalgia and hopefully good memories uh, and a couple of bad ones, um, but you need them to purge the soul. So one more important thing to talk about this week before we move on to our moment of the decade segment, um, and that is my next podcast. So there will be no podcast uh, next week which is the week of the 23rd, 23rd of December, there will be no podcast. Um, and that is for a very simple reason. Um, I will be flying home to the UK on Friday the 20th of December uh, and landing early Saturday morning. Um, so for the first time since uh, October 2017, I will be going home, <coughs> home to the UK uh, to spend Christmas with the family. Cannot wait. Super excited to get home. Uh, so I will not be recording my podcast that weekend, of course, because I will not be able to have my equipment with me. Um, and I just, you know, I want to take a break with family. So I will be back, however, on Monday the 30th. Um, I will be reviewing all three games. Um, so if you have any audio, any emails, any tweets, DMs, Tinder swipes, whatever you've got for me, Send it to me this week. This is going to be a bonanza Christmas recap uh, next week on the 30th of December. We are going to cover the Sheffield United game. We're going to cover Boxing Day. We're going to cover the week after because I'll be flying home on that Saturday. Um, we'll cover it all. If you send me content, it will be on that show. Whatever you send me, as long as it's not rude and has a lot of swearing in it, it will be on there. So please please, please give me your stuff. I am not going to be able to watch all these games live, uh, so I will like your assessments. I will be watching all three before I record and making my notes, so I have something to contribute to this conversation with you all because you're hopefully going to be sending me a lot of stuff. So I will be back on Monday, the 30th of December. Enjoy the segment covering the rest of 2019 through 2010, the decade, obvs. And have a wonderful Christmas or holiday, whatever it is you celebrate. If you're celebrating it between now and the 30th of December, have a really good one. Here's the next segment. Be safe. Have a good one. Ian, how's life? The weather is terrible at the moment. Oh, really? But yeah, just watching the... I'm just looking at all the stuff on Twitter about the election at the moment. Twitter is such a terrible echo chamber, isn't it? Yeah, social media is really because like literally every election, or certainly 2015, the EU referendum, 2017, there was this massive thing about everyone getting really excited about like loads of young people turning out to vote, and it's like the same again today. I'm, I swear you see it like every election, and generally it's only in like massive cities, so it's yep. like the same thing. People see yeah, like these queues yeah. of people like under 30 in London, and they're like, oh. It's like you know change is coming like 
It's difficult. Yeah, never, uh, never forget so. that. Never forget that at ten o'clock at night, Hillary Clinton was ninety-nine percent probable to win. Yeah, and I think the other <laughs> thing as well is it's like this is the first election that they've had in Dece- well in the winter in a hundred years. So it's like there'll be a lot of people wanting to vote before it's dark, right? Because it gets dark at four o'clock. Yeah, you so would think wanna, so. You'd think a lot of people would go right. I'm going to go and vote at, like before work as opposed to after work because it's going to be light. Yeah, or at lunch so. or something like exactly. that. Exactly. See, we thought a lot of people are probably cramming voting into like the early part of the day. Difficult to predict, basically. Yeah, is the answer. So anyway, if anybody can guess, uh, it is election day the day we're recording this. Um, drama will be at an all-time high within the next five to six hours, I'm sure. Um, yeah, the exit poll is in five hours' time. Today we will be discussing. Uh, funner drama let's say (laughs) yeah um and slightly less divisive or at least slightly less toxic anyway um yeah so we're coming to the end of a decade what a decade it's been wow 2010 um and what a decade it's been for the albion like good grief going back to the beginning of the 2010s we uh we were in a very different spot to the one we're Uh, in now i think yeah i think on new year's day going into the new decade we were one place above the relegation zone in League One. Yep, I think that's about right because that was the Russell Slade year, right before we had Gus. Yeah, correct. So we can hit on our most uh, the obvious ones, and we will, of course. Like it's pretty obvious that we're going to hit on promotions and big moments like that. Um, but we're also going to want to cover some of our own personal uh, big moments of the decade, be it football results. Uh, anything like you know outside of the results backstage with the Albion um, so do you want to start yeah um, obviously you know I think every Albion fan is probably going to have the same moments in their top five which some of them you've just referenced so I mean just to get them out of the way quickly so we don't have to dwell on them obviously everyone's going to have first game at the Amex I'd imagine everyone's going to have promotion to the Premier League the Wigan game Everyone's going to have probably winning against Man United at home to stay in the Premier League. I'd imagine most people are going to have those three. Probably yep. Knockout's goal at Palace last season would yep, be in the top five. A couple of the couple of the Twitter responses I've had, like DMs so, I mean, and regular responses, have been uh, Knockout's goal at Palace. So I think you're spot on there. So I think those four really probably make up much of my, many Albion fans' top five. So I've tried not to dwell on those. So the first one that I'm going to go for which is a slightly sort of left-field shout, is actually losing to Sheffield Wednesday in the playoffs. Ooh, okay. The season before we went up. And the reason for that is, if you look at the context of the end of that season, obviously going to Middlesbrough and needing a win, only getting the draw, having Mike Dean gate with the red card, and essentially missing out on promotion by what, well, I mean, a single goal of goal difference virtually. Yeah, I mean no, they beat was, yeah. didn't. I mean they they beat us three nil at the Amex. So even if it had been two nil, probably would have gone up. Yep. So anyway, going into the you know having put everything into that automatic promotion fight, then going to into the Sheffield Wednesday game, having those terrible injury problems in the first leg. What we lost four players injured in that game. Yeah, three I think we did. Players yeah, injured we did, in the first leg. Finished with ten men because we couldn't. We we ran out. Of yeah, because we've made all three subs and we had someone else injured. So yeah, <laughs> yep. going into that and then having 
obviously the home leg, which many people still say is the best atmosphere that we've had at the Amex in, in any game. But I think what the crucial bit is, is become, we'd come so close at Middlesbrough and then we come even, you know, really close after the Sheffield Wednesday game. And I think that all of that cultivated this one sense of slight injustice that we hadn't gone up and two, this sort of burning desire to not piss around the next season and to basically get it done. And I think if you read the, there's a book that came out, which was celebrating, which was written when Brighton got promoted. And it's kind of talking about the the seasons leading up to it and some of the behind the scenes stuff talking about it. And there's a bit in there. I can't remember it. Oh, I'm gonna have to. I'll I'll think about it before the end of this. I'll let people okay. know if they haven't read it. Um, but it was released fairly quickly, um, and it was a kind of behind the scenes look, and it interviewed various people, you know, kind of in and around the club. And there was a bit in there where it said basically the first Monday after that game, the first day of pre-season, Tony Bloom basically convened a board meeting, and basically said, next year we're going up. The season starts today. Everyone on the same page. Let's get it done. And I think without having that injustice and without having the double injustice of then losing in the playoffs, I'm not saying that we wouldn't have gone up anywhere, but I think it was a moment that, that really did lead to everything pointing to the Premier League and everyone being one dimensional in terms of their attitude that we weren't going to mess around. We weren't going to leave it to chance next season. We were going to go up and we were going to do it in style. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. And I think I always consider that season, the next season after that, and then the first season in the Prem as like something that a TV production like Netflix could televise as a trilogy. Yeah, um, 100%. Because like it's got the, the jeopardy, hasn't it? It's got the jeopardy of missing out in the first season. Yeah, the tragedy. And then it's got the kind of, yeah, exactly. And then it's got the, yeah, exactly, the tragedy there. And then it's got the kind of euphoria and glory of finally doing it. And then for the first season, the Premier League has then got the jeopardy of whether we'd stay up or not. Um, yeah, and like realising all those dreams that Bloom and everybody else had. I, I always think it is almost, it almost is like you can write it. Like it almost yeah. is that, like that classic movie trilogy stuff. And I agree with you. I think also not only did it like get everybody on the same page, but I think one or two of the players that maybe would have left were almost like, and it's rare these days for players, but were almost a little bit too emotionally invested from how pissed off they were. And yeah, that exactly. That they didn't want to leave. A, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, exactly. It was a, and it worked. I'm not saying it didn't, I think in a sense it then made promotion even more satisfying. Not that, you know, after all the struggles, getting promoted to the Premier League would have been, you know, an anti-climax. But do you know what I mean? It was having had something else lumped onto the top of all the other problems to then do it so quickly. You know, the next year, wipe the slate clean and, um, you know, go again as in modern yeah. parlance. Especially when we'd also had so much playoff heartbreak. I mean, I remember being at Derby away in that semi-final oh, and they just it? hammered us and it was pissing it down with rain. <laughs> we were terrible. I think we played Stephen Ward at centre half because we had so many yeah, games, and it was, it was just not good, was it? It was brutal. We were just so on our last legs, and then yeah, obviously and then the obviously Oscar left pretty Hoppier. much the same day, didn't he? So yeah, he did. And then to bring in Sammy Hoppier and have that problem, like you thought that 
I don't know. I don't know about you, but I felt like we'd kind of pissed the chance away. Like several playoff chances, we'd gotten so close and it looked like we were just going to go back to that. Or like rather just become one of those championship teams that have been there for 10, 15 years now and chilling in that middle of the table piece. So the fact that then, you know, Hewton came in and transformed it and carried on, it just made it even better. There was just, like you said, everything piled on. So, yeah, that was my that's my slightly left field moment to start. No, I think that's a pretty good one. Um, so I've, one of my ones that I've got is uh, a particular date, um, 2nd of September 2011. And that was the day that Vicente signed a one-year deal with us. <laughs> it's a good shout. It's a very good shout. I could Ridiculous. not believe that that man was signing for us when he came in. And that was probably at the time, like, North Stanchat's biggest uh, topic of all time as well, I think. Yeah, because someone spotted him in Gatwick, didn't they? Yep. Yeah, there was a couple of people who were seeing him, and like there was like cab drivers who were saying one thing, and other people who were saying the other, and everybody on the whole was just like, "Nah, like this, let's file this away with uh, Michael Owen in the town yeah. centre." Andre Kanchelska. Yeah, yeah, ain't happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we've touched on it, haven't we, in, in a couple of the other segments, given that. You know, just ridiculous. I mean, I can't even get the words out. It's just ridiculous that a, a player of his caliber played for the Albion, full stop. Nothing further to add. No, and it's such a shame that he left in the way he did. He uh, yeah. he, described, he described former Boscus Poyer as the worst person I've come across in football, selfish and egocentric. <laughs> well, I mean, there was that whole thing after the first, after his first year, wasn't there, where... It, he'd signed a one-year deal and he didn't didn't look like he wanted to stay. So the club were in negotiation with him and it, it, it looked like he wanted to leave. And then it turned out we actually had a an option on his contract. Yes. So we just, just option we just basically yeah. we just extended it for a second year, regardless of what he really wanted. Which I imagine is probably where that that comment came from. I'd imagine he probably wanted to go home and Gus was like, nah, need you need you for the team optioning the deal get on with it yeah i think so i think it was just one of those football manager moments where you just like you're like double taking every second you just can't quite believe that someone's managed to pull this off i know but i mean so as we've touched upon you we had some great moments i mean we didn't you know we didn't as a team we didn't really achieve much obviously we got to the playoffs but you know we didn't really achieve much with him here um, but we still have some great moments. I mean, we've touched on obviously the derby, the run and the shot against Derby, and some of the goals that he scored, and various other. I mean, whenever he had the ball, he you could tell he was about a minute ahead of everyone else on the pitch. Like you'd see him play a pass <laughs> that basically no one has, no one else on the pitch has seen, and no one's actually run for. Anything? Yeah, no, <laughs> on both sides. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. If yeah, he's just played a ball that you just go, well, yeah, that's just a great pass, and no one has seen it. <laughs> um, See, so yeah, I mean, hugely enjoyable, hugely enjoyable to have him have him at the club. What's next on your agenda? Um, probably another game that we've talked about, which is the Peterborough game in League One. Yes, that's also on because my list. Yeah, for, I mean, for me, this is the kind of, this was the pinnacle of Gus Ball, right? Agreed. I mean, Were you there that day? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, and it, 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 because it's such a great, it used to be such a great stadium with that terrace as well. 
which I now know they've they've knocked down now. Um, but Yeast was one of my favourite away grounds just because of that terrace was brilliant. And I remember this game. Obviously, we'd been to Charlton the week before, hadn't we? And won 4-0 at Charlton Yeah, where we'd before. hammered them, yep. Yeah, and then you rock up to them, um, who they were also fairly high in the division as well. Um, I think they were four. I think they were definitely in the top six when we got there. Um, yeah, no, they and there was all there. this. Yeah, there was all this stuff. I remember in the week building up to it, how they built it up to be such a massive game um, for them. Yeah, and he said rock- Gary Johnson said it was uh, our cup final. Brilliant. To classic. show that we've, yeah, classic. <laughs> Hello? Hello? I lost you there for a second. Yeah, um, no, it dipped out. Yeah, cl- classic. I mean, classic mind games that just go wrong, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I remember turning up there and just, they got a fairly early red card, I think. Yeah, they did. It was George Boyd. Yeah, I just I remember there being some sort of off the ball incident. I think can't remember who it was with, um, but I remember getting a red card. Then we had a penalty that was saved. Yep. Um, in fact, we'd already gone up. We'd already gone in front by then, hadn't we? I think we got quite an early goal from Ashley Barnes. Yep. They Ashley Barnes red... scored the first one. Then George yep. Boyd got sent off for kicking sent off. off. Then we had a then we had a penalty that was saved. Then Calderon scores. Then we get another penalty that Barnes scores. So we're three 0 up. And... Yes, because that penalty that penalty was at our end, the winning yeah. penalty. Yeah. So then we're three 0 up, and then he Ashley Barnes then hits the crossbar twice as well later yeah. on. So I mean, it could easily have been six 0 and that wouldn't have flattered. That wouldn't have flattered us at all. Did you know it was Ashley Barnes's twenty first birthday on that weekend? I did I not realise that until I just start. read the report again. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it really could have been 6-0. Comfortably. Yeah, and it like you said, a... it really was the pinnacle of Poyet Ball. Like, it was just... It, yeah, they just, it just had was. no answer to it. They were just chasing shadows. I mean, even... I don't think the fact they were down to 10 men really mattered. I don't think... No, because we'd already result. been all I mean, over. Exactly, we were 1-0 up already. And I don't think it would have prevented us winning. Might not have won quite as comfortably, but I mean, who's to say we wouldn't because we were just brilliant, to be honest. Yeah, we had 12 shots on target, four shots off target. They had one on target all game. <laughs> Nine corners to their three. Like, it was, just a, it was just an absolute hammering. We just dominated. Yeah, it really was, work it? And I think it was probably as it, because it followed so soon after that Charlton game as well that you just thought this we're in this rich vein of form that might never <laughs> might never be repeated yeah uh, the main man for them leading the line that that, uh, that game was indeed Craig McHale Smith yeah odd isn't it he I mean him and George Boyd together were a, were a hell of a oh, unit was the other guy yeah. they had they had um, Aaron McLean as well didn't they oh they did yeah he I wonder what he's bucket doing loads of goals as well yeah he was a beast yeah it really was wasn't he um, yeah, just had weird. Yeah, just one of those names that you pluck from <laughs> from nowhere. He plays for Ebbsfleet United now. Well, what sort of age is he? Mid thirties. He is thirty six. 
Yeah, about the same age as Mikael Smith, then, you'd have thought. Oh, no, but he's moved to Peterborough United now as a coach. He's stopped at oh, Edson this year. Yep. Fair God, enough. that's a blast from the past. It is, isn't it? But yeah, anyway, so that game is another was another great one, just all round. You know, the, the, the fact that it's a good away day anyway, that terrace, the result, the fact that we were top of the league, you know, it all all of the ingredients were there. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that one of my other ones that I had in terms of matches um, that I have listed here is in is from the same year. Um, and that was the away game at Walsall at the end of the year. The yeah, one where we won three one uh crown champions and one of the first times I was on the pitch <laughs> any game. Great. It was a great day. It started out, you know, I think that a lot of us thought that we may well not be able to manage it just because it's kind of sod's law, but we I think we scored, yeah, we scored within six minutes, uh Cowder on bagged. Um Elliot Bennett that day was a monster. He, oh yeah, he scored uh, the third, didn't he? He scored really the third goal, and assisted the first and the second. What a boy. And that third goal was an absolute banger at our end. Uh, yeah, it really uh, was. But then um, obviously they they went back into the uh the the you know, the changing rooms or whatever, came back out afterwards with all those shitty foil cups. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and there was so many people uh on the pitch anyway, and the stewards just made no effort to stop us. Um, no, it's difficult, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, when you have like two and a half thousand running on the pitch and you have like 15 stewards, there was never really a chance for them to stop anybody. Yeah, and, and it was never it was never really going to be bad tempered, was it? I mean, it wasn't like we'd gone up at the expense of them, you know. No, I think exactly. One of those ones. I mean, for them, they emptied out fairly quickly in their end, I think. From what I can yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think the only ones that remained were people applauding the team that won. I think I think yeah. they were kind of just done. Um, it was Glenn Murray scored his 22nd goal of the season that day, doing what he does wow. best, banging in goals for fun. Always. What I didn't realise just before we moved to the next one was that they ended with 10 men. I never remembered them getting a man sent I off. But, uh, yeah, Ledesma in the 79th minute got himself sent off. So that You're was the right. end of his day. Yeah, I didn't have no recollection of that, actually. Nope. Fair What's enough. Um, I struggled with the next one, but what I went with in the end was the West Brom game at home in the Premier League, simply because first goals, first win, really, on yep. a fairly tricky start. Um, obviously, we'd been, we'd had Man City, hadn't we? First game of the season and lost. <laughs> yep, brutal. Then we. Then we went to Leicester, I think after that, away and lost. Then we had Watford, where we got a nil-nil draw. And then, obviously, we came into the West Brom game having not scored a goal or won a game. Yeah. Um, so, you think you need, it's one of those, you need to get a win on the board. And, obviously, you need to get a goal on the board <laughs> as quickly yeah, as possible. Anything. <laughs> yeah. And, um, see, so yeah, I think it just got us going, really. Just kick-started the season. Kind of showed that we belonged in the league, as it were. You know, yeah, could, it did. You could win a game. You know, you could score, score a few goals and look the part. That was why I think it was quite an important one. Um, because I think, particularly as a newly promoted team, the longer you go on without a win, 
you know, if you if you're ticking into half a dozen games and you haven't got your first win, then immediately you know you're dragged into a relegation scrap straight away. And the fact yeah. that we could tick get this win and a decent home win on the board um, against another team who are probably likely to be in the you know the bottom bottom echelons of the table um, was an important important day. Yeah, it was also, I mean, the, the birth of Pascal Gross, too. He was yeah, exactly. the one who bagged the first goal for us. So and the that, second, uh, I think. Yeah, he's, he's gone on to, you know, we all know how he's gone on to perform in the Premier League. So, uh, yeah. he uh, and I think it was just some random, like, the way the ball dropped at the back post, wasn't it? And he just kind of scooped it in for our first yeah, goal. It in. It was His second goal as was ugly as it gets. Just, yeah, second goal after half-time was much better. Um, but, yeah, that's why I say it's quite a simple memory to go for but quite a significant one i think no i think you're right i think you know first goal in the premier league is always going to be an important one um when we've not been there for 30 odd years so i think that's entirely fair my next one is a duo of results um and they're the same ones they're the same result but they were both memorable for different reasons kind of um fulham one at fulham fulham one brighton two on both August 2015 and in January 2017. So do you remember those two? Yes, I do. There were, say, another great away day. Another great so, away uh, day. The, the first one was, you know, I think it was only our second game of the season. Uh, I think we'd played Forest first, and that was yeah. when Loire Loire had scooped that winner in. Um, oh, yes. And then we went to Fulham after that. And yeah. we, it was 1-1. when Hemed announced himself, pretty much, wasn't yes. it? Yes. And it was also the day that Lewis Dunk didn't play because Fulham had been in for him in the summer. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? There's all of this. Yeah, I do. do and there was all that. this, like, hoo-ha about whether he should play, whether he'd want to play, and he actually sat yeah, out. his mind was correct to all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes. And Luar Luar won the penalty in the 93rd minute. Um of and the Hemed game. just and rolled it in, didn't he? Hemed rolled it in and celebrated right in front of me. Stood on the top of the um, the board, oh, yeah. and that was, you know, that was one of those seasons that we went on to do incredibly well. Um, and I thought it was, I thought it was a hell of a hell of a game back and forth. And Fulham were also one of those player teams that were expected to be up there. So to take points from them away from home was massive, and especially then, so early in the season as well. Exactly. And then, of course, the one in January of 2017, um, which I believe was the one that, you know, was continuing to push on with Newcastle at the top of the league. Oh, um, is this the, the one uh, where we had the double was this goal? Two very quick goals. Yes. So it was the one where they went 1 0 just yeah. after half time. Um, Hemed scored a penalty in the 74th. And from yeah. kickoff, Lewis Dunk ran from our box from the minute the ball was kicked all the way down to theirs and came in contact with a header to score the winner. Yeah, it was like, a rebound, in, wasn't it? Basically, yeah, he just carried on his run, didn't he? And yeah, he ended up it was, heading in a rebound from a shot. It was unbelievable. I think it was Knockart. I think Knockart had had the save, had had the shot. Uh, it rebounded back out and Dunk just headed it in. And I think he just ran full pelt from his box to their box to score the goal from the minute yeah. the ball kicked off. <laughs> it was a great goal. I remember at the time watching it thinking, no, Lewis, like, don't, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get pulled out of position. Just, you know, just equalized. 
just try and you know keep it calm for a few minutes. Yeah, what do I know? Fulham were a good team. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they really were a good team. Um, Yeah, another say another great great away day. And I just think it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Fulham's been the site of a few. See, Fulham was the place where Nathan Jones gave us a bit of a boost. You know, pre pre Hewton coming in as well. So it's been a bit of a. See, last year it was put to bed rather annoyingly for us. Again, it looked like we were going to be look, yeah. cruising <laughs> at 2-0 up. Um, yeah, it's been a pretty happy hunting ground for us over the last few years. Their goalkeeper on the day uh, for the... obviously Stockdale. We went up. Uh, our goalkeeper on the day was David Stockdale the year we went up. Uh, their goalkeeper yeah. was David Button. Oh, weird. Uh, yeah, yeah. he came from Fulham. Yeah, yeah so would I until I saw it, but... He um so he got promoted one way or the other because he came with us. But I oh, thought that, like you said, Fulham is a happy hunting ground, and I think that both of them were big moments for us in both seasons. Um, and I thought it was worth putting up there because it was yeah, also absolutely. a hell of an away day. I think it was my second last away day ever since before yeah. I moved over here. The Fulham one, the first one, so it was a big one for me. Oh, good. That's it. That is a good one to put in. Um, I was going to mention. A significant moment of the decade, but not necessarily a particularly happy one, which is, of course, the Shoreham air disaster and the club's response to that, which, again, was cultivated this kind of together attitude. I know it was a bit of a marketing buzzword around the club for a couple of seasons, but I think it was actually, you know, kind of epitomised by the club's response to something which is obviously, you know, a terrible disaster that, you know, lost a fan and a, a club employee. And the fact that, that, you know, the club did everything with such a high degree of class around the response to it. And, you know, David Stockdale was quite prominent in that, going to visit you know, families of, of people who'd lost, lost relatives and that kind of thing. And obviously the club doing a very good tribute game um, in the aftermath. I think it it stands out as, you know, the club likes to pride itself as being, you know, part of the community and doing everything correctly and actually having, you know, a conscience and everything that generally doesn't get associated with with modern day football. Um, It stands out really as something, you know, that we've come, we now come to expect the club to react in this kind of way, you know, classily when it comes to anything. I know we, we talked about it earlier in the week, you know, with the Rainbow Laces campaign that's recently been happening in the Premier League. And obviously, you know, they had the East Stand doing their their rainbow display the other day. Again, impeccable. Exactly how you'd expect the club to to deal with something which is not, shouldn't be, but is still quite a kind of a sensitive topic. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I especially in inside as, football. As, yeah, as, as, as an example, really, of the fact that the club has, over the decade, has done some great things in in not particularly great moments. Yeah, no, I think it's a good one to have in there. I mean, it was a huge influencing moment, be it, like you said, like be it with the buzzwords or whether it was just the actual moment itself. I think that, like I said about the trilogy of the movies, like that would be a huge part of it (laughs) Um, because it did affect people so much. Um, Anybody who isn't aware of the Shoreham Airshow crash, uh, they do have a Wikipedia page on it. I just looked to make sure they did before I sent you there. Um, 2015 Shoreham Airshow crash, if you want to look into that uh, and then look into the Albion's response, it's very easily found because it got a lot of plaudits for it. So 
if you want to take a look, feel free to to Google that. And I think it's worth noting that it was the response was very natural from the club. It wasn't none of it was forced. It it, it didn't feel like you know this this disaster has happened. We're you know it happened just down the road from us. Obviously, we're involved because you know we've got employees or fans that have been caught up in it. They didn't feel that they had to respond in a certain way because people were expecting it. I got the impression that it was all a very, you know, natural thing that they wanted to be as helpful as possible and to be as compassionate as possible, not because, you know, not for any kind of cynical reason that they felt that they had to be. You know what I mean? I think yeah, it just no, felt exactly. very natural. And I know there's a lot of stuff that obviously the, the crash happened fairly close to the club's training ground. And I know that they, you know, they opened the training ground to let all the emergency services kind of base themselves there. They fed all the emergency services at the training ground. So, again, it, it was quite a natural reaction, I think, just to yeah, be, no, I agree with you. throw themselves into the um, into the uh, the kind of recovery effort, as it were. Yeah, anyway, no, I didn't I want to have such a somber fair. one, but I think it was <laughs> it's quite an important, um, quite an important response, I think, from the club. I agree. Um so my my other one of my other ones I have here is nothing it's not so much a moment as it is a progression of moments and what I wanted to cover was the the money spent by the Albion in the decade so prior to um obviously we have a lot of undisclosed fees but you know they kind of come out as time goes on um we worked out that I believe that before 2010 the most expensive transfer window we ever had was 1.6 million pounds across an entire year. So, and that was the 2005-2006 season. Wow. So we'd never spent more than that in an entire year. Um, and when we then obviously moved up <laughs> into the Premier League and all of, I mean, even just in the championship, the kind of money we were spending in the championship was, you know, six, seven million a year. Um, yeah, it's the crazy, progression it? is just I'm, insane. I mean, I remember see Will Buckley being our first million pound player, and how yeah. that was that you know as a figure, that was such a such a weird moment that we were actually spending a million pounds on a player. I mean, it was insane. Like the idea yeah. of spending that amount of money was just scary in a way because you were like holy shit like if we fuck this up like it could just ruin us because you don't realize like just yeah it's a big old outlay money that is yeah and then to be you know three or four years later we're spending 69 and a half million um in our first year in the prem and you know 68 million this year spending 22 million on a center half nobody thought we needed (laughs) <laughs> and that's uh, <laughs> yeah. that's more money than probably like our entire history in 2009 oh yeah no, undoubtedly 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 and i thought um, it was again it was one of those weird ones you know like the shore on crash it's kind of you know it's kind of out there but the just the the jarring difference of going from 2009 like you know a couple of hundred grand being a huge amount for a player to that kind of movement is just it's yeah, still having to get, me now. get money off coca-cola to buy anyone yeah hoping <laughs> we got lucky <laughs> uh, it is i mean yeah i know it's quite it is the biggest it's the easiest way to quantify the difference between then and now isn't it is the money yeah it really is um and i know they say like you know football's gone mad and 
the expenditure has gone up and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, in 2004, when we were spending uh, 55, 2002, rather, when we were spending uh, £55,000 for the entire window to bring in Jeff Pitcher, uh, <laughs> was a very different time for, you know, Chelsea were also spunking yeah. £100 million then. So to say that, yeah, uh, you know, exactly. things haven't moved on that, you know, to that degree. No, it's just that we have astronomically. <laughs> Which is it is crazy. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, and it's made, I think we referenced it in one of the other segments, which is, you know, when we're looking at the fee that we spent on Trossard, which is, you know, somewhere in the 16, 18 million pound bracket. Right. People are looking at that and going, that's a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> might turn, you know, might turn out to be an absolute bargain. And it's just, it's nuts. Yeah. In a very wild. good way, but it's totally nuts. And yeah, it's another and one it's of those things where, us. you know, it is. It is great. It, it, you know, I appreciate, you know, we, we might not be in the Premier League forever. We're probably going to, you know, we're probably not going to be here consistently for the next 15, 20 years. I mean, we might be. I'd love to be wrong. But probably at some point we're going to get relegated. Just because most clubs outside of the top six or seven do. Yeah. At some point. Exactly. So looking at it, we are going to go down at some point. So I'm trying to enjoy... <laughs> enjoy these slightly weird and mental aspects of being up which is kind of like money to an extent money's no object within the bounds, yeah. you know within the bounds of of possibility and i think it's i think it's even better for us because we know where we've come from we know the hard times we had and we know how close we were to just being gone and yet like we know that we can act that way in terms of like money is no object because we know our owner is so smart and so responsible it's not like we've yeah. got someone in there that could like spend us into oblivion and spend the next five years trying to survive again in League One. Like we know that the money we're spending is money we can afford to do with him, and that's like yeah. I feel like that's an even. We're almost like we're incredibly privileged to know that we have that, and I think that's kind of like that extra boost for us as particular. Oh yeah, I mean, particularly there's a story in the in the news today where there's been Deloitte the. Um, the accountancy firm have been looking into particularly the finances of championship clubs and the conclusion, you know, having been in that league for quite a long time recently, we know the, the enormous sums of money that are spent in that league trying to get into the Premier League. And it's a real kind of boom and bust division because if you spend a ton of money and get promoted, then it's all good. If you spend a ton of money and don't get promoted, then you can find yourself in trouble fairly quickly. Yeah, I think the conclusion there is that the championship in particular is a division where it's a bubble waiting to burst. Yeah, there is spending. far too much. Yeah, there's far too much outgoing and not enough incoming. And because you could people argue... just get this, yeah, that you get this the bright lights of the Premier League. Everyone because a lot of you know, even when we were in that division, an awful lot of clubs in the championship have been in the Premier League in yeah. recent, you know, within the last decade or 15 years. I'd say without without looking it up, I'd say three quarters of the teams in the championship probably. Have yeah, been no, in the I would Premier say you're about right. I would, I would probably uh, agree with that. Maybe a bit less than that, but certainly, you know, a large proportion have been in the Premier League. So they know, they know both sides of it. They know, they know the reward of getting there. And it's almost like a drug, isn't it? You go, once you've been there and experienced it, that's what you want. 
again and you're almost prepared to gamble well everything yeah for another and people shot do and people and it's are another one of these things and the more you then become the more indebted you become to your owner because it sure as heck it's not a business model that's keeping you in with a shout right no exactly the teams that are in there that are kind of self-sustainable aren't usually the ones in the top six either but no i'm gonna give a shout out to preston who are about the only ones i can think who have obviously haven't got promoted recently but the last few seasons have been in and around the the playoff conversation and they seem to be a team that don't spend wild amounts of money um but they are they're probably the um one of the exceptions i mean you can look at middlesbrough you know they had all those seasons obviously were in the premier league for quite a long time came down were kind of floating around the championship for a few years not really doing much steve gibson was obviously still putting his hand in his pocket but not to the extent of of really challenging for promotion he then decides to give it another go obviously in the season where you know we were challenging them put right. his hand in his pocket to an enormous degree they then go up obviously come straight back down and now they're flirting with the bottom three not in a particularly great state no they're so in big trouble be... they're only four points clear of it and you have teams like stoke down there with them who are yeah. even further down so exactly i mean so it really is it really is a double-edged sword I mean, it's a great division to be in that's why i say i'm kind of enjoying i mean i'm trying to enjoy the premier league as much as possible because i know at some point we're going to be pitched back into the <laughs> the madness that is the championship and i'm hoping that see obviously all the work that's been gone on with the academy recently and the number of players we've got out on loan at championship level whether that's in the actual championship or whether it's in comparable leagues you know in europe we've obviously got the two that are at st pauli in germany and we've got i think anders dreyer's in holland is he somewhere so we've got a few that are at, yeah you know at a league that are playing at a standard that is comparable with the championship so i'm hoping that if and when we do end up back in that division, we will not have to spend a ton of money to um, to kind of rebuild our squad. Yeah, and I just I was just looking at the table, and really I can only think look at and see like three or four teams that are in there that I've never really read about anything too much money wise, and Preston's one of them. Um, Brentford is another, you know, where yeah, they kind of bounce shot. back and forth pretty well sustained. Um, Millwall is like half and half. You never know what they're going to do. Yeah, um, it's a good shout. But for the most part, all the rest and of them. Funnily are enough, up. all the ones you've mentioned are the ones who've never been in, who haven't been in the Premier League recently. Exactly, because then you know the rest so of them. It's a kind of self-fulfilling. <laughs> it's a self-fulfilling thing, isn't it? Exactly, because I mean Bristol City too, but I know they did spend a lot of time in the lower leagues before they popped back up. Yeah, so. they're now being bankrolled fairly to a fairly Heavily. high degree. Exactly. Um, so I didn't want to include owner. them. Um, you've obviously got Forrest, who went through a fairly prolonged period of spending where they were in and around the top six conversation and now obviously drifted. They've had their ownership problems <laughs> over the last few yeah. years with various owners. They've been a mess for a long time. They're sitting in you've fifth got Reading now, though, as well. I mean, obviously Reading were in the Premier League fairly, you know, fairly recently. Obviously, we've seen I mean, what's happened with Huddersfield, who are right down there as well. Yeah, that bottom six in the championship right now is Huddersfield, Middlesbrough, Luton, Stoke, Wigan and Barnsley. Again, Wigan, another one. Again, yeah. A lot of these teams, I mean, all of those teams, bar Huddersfield, spent, have spent a fairly 
big chunk of time in the Premier League, off and on. I know Reading have had about three or four different stints at it, but they've probably had six, seven seasons of Premier League football over the last 20 years. Well, and Luton probably, as well. At least. Yeah, Luton. So again, Wigan were in the Premier League for what, probably quite a long time as well. Eight, yeah, nine they years. Were up there. Yeah, they were up there for a fair while. because they, you know, they, similar. They were constantly, constantly so, I mean, said these... as the team that were going to go down. <laughs> Yeah, and then never did. See, all these, yeah. you've got all these teams who are, didn't, you know, just, they, they weren't one season wonders in the Premier League. You know, they were teams who have spent a, long, a longer period of time in the Premier League than we have. Yeah, and we're so looking kind to of become, it's... you know, like in inverted commas, the, the established Premier League teams. Yeah. And they, they, they weren't safe. <laughs> no, so that's why I say it's. Um, yeah, it's worth enjoying it. And the spending is a very good point because it's um, it's something to be enjoyed, but also to be wary of, I think. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But so I, think, I say, I think we're spending sensibly. Generally, we don't seem to be like, I mean, if you look at, I think, we, again, we've talked about this, but if you look at the strategy, particularly from the summer of the players that we signed, weren't, you know, they weren't, they were championship players, basically. Yeah, yep. Championship players who we thought could make the step up to the Premier League. And obviously, Mope has thus far. Webster has as well. Players as well that you think wouldn't necessarily automatically leave were we to go down. Yeah, there's a lot of players in there that A, wouldn't automatically look to leave and B, would also be uh, comfortably in the best 11 in the Championship. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Dan Burns, another, another good example. Signed a ben little White. bit earlier. But ben White, you know, Ben White could... could can step in. Um, still got Chris, still got Christian Walton. You know, if Matt Ryan was to be one of the few that would go if we got relegated, you know, we've got a very good championship keeper to step in. So it's not all, uh, it's not all bad. But yeah, I think the, the spending is, um, yeah, it's an interesting one to talk about because it is, it is, it does. Yeah, of, of all the gap, of all the gaps between the the championship and the Premier League, you always think about the quality of player, but it, yeah, it's the spending that stands out, isn't it? Yeah, it's insane. So as we look to wrap up, then because we're about pretty much all the way through, uh, what have you got last but not least, or rather first on the list up there? <sighs> Very difficult one. Very difficult one indeed to decide. Um, in the end, I went for. Andone's goal, Palace at home Ooh. last season. I know he's become a, a bit of a divisive one. figure, um, but obviously that game um, was just a very bizarre game, all in all. Um, yeah, it was you know, nuts from the, the outset. <laughs> yeah, it really was like a penalty that a penalty for us, which I don't think was a penalty at all. Uh, that Isquierdo won. Yeah, um, don't think it was a penalty. Obviously Shane Duffy's moment of madness. Um, Balogun scoring with his first touch from a corner. With a, uh, with a scissor then, kick, no less. Yeah, just a really good finish <laughs> as well. Um, having literally just walked onto the pitch. And then we run under pressure at the other end. Bernardo just boots a clearance. And you think, basically, you're thinking to Andone, get, basically get the ball and waste time until the half-time whistle. Yeah. That's, that's basically what everyone in the stadium was going, right, get the, if you win this ball, either win a throw-in off him to waste some time, or take it down towards the corner flag and the referee's going to blow his whistle for half time. Job done. We'll go in and, you know, 
reorganize ourselves. But no, we know he had loftier ideas than that. Yeah, and uh, just about every Obviously palace. He had a bit of luck. He had a bit of uh, had a bit of luck when he got to the byline, and that the ball had a, had a kind bounce to come back to him. But still, yeah, and I goal. mean there were there were a couple of nice little touches there too, like the way it bounced off of Tompkins when he ripped him inside out, and it just managed to yeah. bounce back to his foot perfectly. But yeah, like you said, like the fact that he had the loftier ambitions is what caused it in the first place. Yeah, the fact that it, yeah, I mean. Just ridiculous goal. It was it was outrageous. Like you said, like that game that was nuts from the outset. That uh, that scissor kick was mental. Um, yeah, I mean it was just a very yeah very bizarre game. I think it's actually the perfect one to end on. Actually, with you know Palace in four days. Um, yeah, and obviously no to... no Andone to um, no Andone to do that again. But no it's Andone, the kind of no thing you could imagine you could imagine uh, Neil Mope doing something. Vaguely similar. They're quite similar players. Connolly uh, as well, to be fair. Connolly as well could come and do it, but looks like Palace have got some injury problems, which is always it's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you think, oh, it makes life a lot easier. But on the other hand, you think if you then get turned over by them and they're without three or four of their best players, then it becomes a bit of an annoyance. Yeah, and they're not a bad team either this year. They've no, performing well good expectations, so it'll be interesting. But yeah, no doubt we'll um, debate the ins and outs of this next time. Yep, perfect. Well, thank you Brilliant. so much for your time. No problem. Speak awesome. to you soon. Bye. Yep, sure we'll have some election drama later. Have a good one. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Bye. Right, bye.